So this semester, we've been walking through Genesis 1 through 11, and our series is called, And It Was Good. And there's a few reasons we talked about why we called it this. Um, One is in chapter 1 of Genesis, God declares his creation good over and over again. And so he says, and it was good, and it was good. And that's a big reason why we got this title. But also, when the fall happened, I wanted to remind us that God didn't turn his back on his creation. God still declares his creation good. And then for tonight, like, nights like tonight, I, I really thought about, should we call this series, and it, was, and it was good, with a bunch of question marks behind it. Because tonight we're talking about the flood, where God wipes out his entire world except for this guy named Noah and his family. And that's really hard to understand how God is good in situations like that. But I think it's important and okay to struggle through these questions. And so that's what we're going to be doing tonight as we look at the story of the flood. And so last Vespers, a few weeks ago, when we had Mark, one of our elders, come in, he talked about Noah, and he talked about how Noah was the one man on earth that found favor in God's eyes, that Noah was the only man that was righteous. And this word righteous does not mean that Noah was sinless. There's a difference. Noah still sinned. We know that every human is a sinner. So Noah's still a sinner, but the difference was is he chose to walk with God. And when he did sin, when he did fall short, he chose to confess his sins to the Lord. And so that's why he found favor in God's eyes. And then Mark helped us um, think through this really awesome question. And Noah was called to build this ark, which was a radical act of obedience. And Mark challenged us to think about what radical obedience are we being called to? What's the radical obedience that we are being called to? And so tonight we're going to be looking at our text um, and we're going to mix things up a little bit. This is a kind of long story. It goes from Genesis 6 all the way to Genesis chapter 9 and I didn't want to read all three chapters. We'd be here for a long time. Um, So we're going to read out of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I'm really excited about. And this is not me um, insulting your intellectual abilities, but I think that I I just love this book because um, it's very theologically sound in a really simple way to understand. And if you didn't grow up in the church, when you pick up this Bible right here, it's really big and confusing and just a lot of stuff to try and understand. And so if you are new to the church, if you don't know all the church stories, this is a really great place to start. Um, And there's no shame in in reading Jesus' storybook Bible because Jesus calls us to have childlike faith, right? And so why not immerse ourselves in a story written for children? So we're going to be reading our story from here. It'll also be up on the screen so you can see it because it's not very big. Um, So, the story is called A New Beginning. Time passed, and many people filled the earth. Everyone everywhere had forgotten about God and were only doing bad things all the time. God's heart was filled with pain when he saw what had happened to the world he had loved. Everything, everywhere was disease and death and destruction, all the things God hates most. 
Now Noah was God's friend, which was odd in those days because no one else was. Noah listened to God, he talked to God, and he just loved being with God like you do with your best friend. Noah, God said, things have gone wrong. People have filled my world with hate instead of love. They are destroying themselves and each other and my world. I must stop them. First, we'll build an ark. Do you know how to build an ark? Neither did Noah. Luckily, God knew and he would show him. A storm is coming, God told Noah, but I will rescue you, I promise. I'll send animals to you, ones that creep and crawl and slither and slime and gallop and hop and bound and climb. And don't forget to pack everyone's food. The storm was going to wash away all the hate and the sadness and everything that had gone wrong and make the world clean again. God had thought up a way to keep Noah safe, but Noah would have to trust God and do exactly what God told him. So Noah built an ark, short for a very large boat. Noah's neighbors came to watch and pointed and laughed because they didn't believe Noah about the boat or the storm or needing to be rescued. And Noah must have looked rather silly. His boat was in a desert. A desert the desert was nowhere near the sea, and there wasn't even a cloud in the sky. Why would anyone need an umbrella, let alone a boat? But Noah didn't mind so much what other people thought. He minded what God thought. So he just did what God told him to do. When the ark was ready, God said, all aboard, and Noah's family and all the animals climbed inside. Then God shut the door. And it started raining for minutes that joined into hours, that joined up into days, that joined up into weeks and weeks. And the rain joined up in puddles, that joined up into rivers, that joined up into lakes, that joined up into a flood that covered the whole world. Their boat that had once seemed so big suddenly seemed very small. But in the middle of a huge storm and the crashing waves and all the thunder and lightning, through it all, God was with them, and God kept them safe for 40 long days and 40 long nights. Finally, the rain stopped. The sun came out, and Noah threw open all the windows. Hooray, everyone shouted. Noah sent his dove out to explore it, and it wasn't long before she brought him back some fresh olive leaf. Everyone knew exactly what that meant. She had found a tree and land. The water was going down. At last, the boat landed quite suddenly on top of a great mountain. As soon as it was safe, God said, out you come. And they did, everyone skipping and dancing into the dry land. The first thing Noah did was to thank God for rescuing them, just as he had promised. And the first thing God did was make another promise. I won't ever destroy the world again. And like a warrior who puts away his bow, an arrow at the end of a great battle, God said, see, I have hung my bow in the clouds. And there in the clouds, just where the storm meets the sun, was a beautiful bow made of light. And it was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again, but God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. That's why, before the beginning of time, he had another plan, a better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it. A plan to one day send his own son, the rescuer. God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down once more, but not on his people or his world. No, God's war bow was, pointing down, was not pointing down at his people. It was pointing up into the heart of heaven. The end. So we see here in this story God wiping away his creation. And this story should sound kind of familiar to the original creation story because, remember, the world started out of nothingness. It was just this giant body of water. And God 
brought earth up out of the water. And so you see he's wiping away his first creation, burying it under the water, and then he's raising up a new creation. He's giving the world a fresh start. And I want us to notice that the words God uses to describe his emotions towards the world, towards the chaos and um, the corruption in the world is not um, anger or he's not mad and he's not r- outraged, but he is grieved. He is sad. He is heartbroken over the state of the world. So how do we, how do we process this? Um, what, do we, what do we do with this? Because God is wiping away all of creation. Um, my notes got out of order. Here we go. So I want us to understand something tonight. We've talked about over and over again that we as humans are called to be image bearers of God. And that means that we are not called to be gods. We are called to be his creatures, right? We've talked about that before. But there's this broken relationship between God and humans. And in this corrupt earth, all the humans, except for Noah, have decided that they are going to be gods over their own lives. That's what it means to be living in sin. They have chosen to be God over their own lives. And so God's saying, I'm not okay with this. This hurts me to see my humans that I have created, my creatures, functioning so far away from how I've intended them to live. So I want us to hear this. God takes very seriously his intentions for me and you. God takes very seriously his intentions for his creations, for his creatures. He wants us to be his sons and daughters. He wants us to live in the identity that he has created us for. But I think when we just sit in the story, it's hard for us to wrestle to God's reaction of the fallen state of the world. It seems a little intense for God to just wipe out all of humanity. But we want a God who cares, right? We want a God who cares about the state of his creation. Because if he didn't have any emotion emotion towards us as a lost creation living in corruptness, then he wouldn't be a good father, right? Like That's not how a good father responds to his children if they are not living in a flourishing life. So we should be glad that God responds to our fallen state or else we would have no hope. Paul tells us in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we know that the wages of sin is death. And that shouldn't surprise us, right? That shouldn't surprise us. This world that Noah was living in, they were living in sin. And so the wages of that is death. And so Paul is just like painting this picture of the flood story when he makes this statement, the world deserves death when we are living in sin. 
And if we choose to make ourselves God, which that's what sin is, then we deserve death. God made it clear from the beginning of time that when we choose to put ourselves in the place of God, that's what separates us from him. So God is the judge of humanity, and the world was so corrupt that he needed to wash it clean. He was giving it a new start. And that's not because he had given up on humanity, but because he loves his creation so much. He cares so deeply about them and wanted to give them a new chance to renew their identity as creatures, as image bearers of God, but not God's. So our first question I want us to think about is how does this story relate to baptism? How does the story that we just read reflect baptism? I didn't really give away the answer, so I want you all to think about that. How does the story we just read reflect baptism? And if you've been baptized before, feel free to share your own story and how your story um, might reflect the story of the flood. So y'all discuss. All right. What do y'all think? What do we got? Okay, so um, how this story relates to baptism is that he is clean, God was cleansing the world of its sins and that it was like the world's being reborn again. And that's like how like baptism is from what I see it is um, when you go into the water and then you come up, it's God cleansing you of your sins and it's just uh, that's how like I see it like it relates to it especially since I'm thinking because you asked me last week what baptism meant to me and then I said that and it just related to this because it means practically the same thing you're getting cleansed of your sins and even though you're going to keep sinning like it said at the end of the story like he knows it I mean doesn't make it okay but it's obviously gonna happen right yeah Sophia is getting baptized this Sunday um, during the 11:45 service, yeah, so it's pretty fun that we are talking about this. And baptism Sunday is this Sunday, um, so we'll get to celebrate. But yeah, it's very right. Who else? Monica. Hello, I'm Monica. Um, so we kind of went a different route, and we talked about we talked about that too, and then we also talked about how both of these things involve. Um, like obedience um, to the Lord and obviously in Noah's story he had to be obedient in the face of adversity almost because everyone was looking at him like what are you doing bro like there it's we're in a desert you don't need to build a boat but like the, um, Noah continued to be obedient to the Lord like through that judgment and like baptism is like stepping out in your faith and it's like an outward proclaimment of like like your love for the Lord and so doing that takes a lot of boldness and obedience too when the Lord calls you to do that um, and it's also asking like your community and the people watching like you to hold you accountable in that so they're both big steps like of obedience and like listening to the lord's calling and like being obedient in that through that yeah absolutely yeah it can be scary because yeah people know like you're outing yourself that i want to give my life to jesus and people are going to ask you if they don't see life change right anyone else want to share david hello i'm david um if you think about it, baptism is the flood, just on a very personal, individual level. You're submerging yourself, like your world is being submerged in the water and cleansed. 
and um sydney brought up a good point or like an idea it was like what if john the baptist or whoever the first person to baptize someone looked back at this story and said oh that worked you know we can do that So our table kind of talked about it and like we, I mean, we've talked about a lot of, you know, what we've covered, but we also looked at it like two different perspectives. So like the animals, like they really don't do anything wrong, but like they still get saved. And I, and I think sometimes with like baptism, like that's what it's like when you get baptized as a kid, um, like a, like a baby is, is you're getting saved and you haven't even done anything wrong, but like now you get to walk with the Lord, even at a young age, but like as the adults, like if you found your faith and you got baptism a little bit later, like you kind of see the corrupt that you've done and you still get a chance to like redeem yourself and to get washed over yeah. and to start over. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't really make a choice to get on the boat, but the humans had to like choose if they were going to get on the boat or not. Yeah. Yeah. So fun fact, um, kind of goes to what David was saying a little bit, I guess, Sydney's point, but, um, so, this, there was this practice in ancient times that if you made a mistake, if you were, if someone accused you of a sin, then they would throw you in the water, and if you drowned, then they would assume that you were guilty, and if you did not drown, if you survived, then it was proof that you were righteous. And so this was a like actual practice that they did in ancient times. And so baptism is playing into this idea. Um, I mean, everything like in the Bible has intention behind it. It's not just this crazy, weird, made-up stuff. Um, so baptism is is a symbolism. To, to this, that you are putting to death, like we've talked about, you are putting to death your old self, and you are keeping that self buried in the water. And then when you rise up out of the water, you are a new creation choosing to walk in righteousness. And I just also want to clarify that we do not believe here at the Vista that baptism, the act of baptism, is what saves you. Um, it is an outward symbolism of your decision. Um, and we are tangible people, and so it's really helpful to do tangible things with our faith and experience it with our whole body. Um, it just helps us feel it and embrace it better. And like Annika is saying, it, it's a public symbolization that you are proclaiming to your people that I am cho- I'm t- choosing to walk with Jesus and asking the people that are witnessing to walk alongside you and hold you accountable. So, yes, those were all awesome answers. Um, So then we move to Genesis 8, verse 1. It says, But God remembered Noah. But God remembered Noah. And so this is a turning point for God in the story. And this is where we see him begin to make this covenant with Noah. He's making this covenant with all of creation that he will never again take his judgment out on this way on the earth until the final judgment day. 
And just like the, the Jesus Storybook Bible says, um, but this is like in really theologically deep commentaries as well, like the rainbow isn't just this fun thing that is random. Again, it has meaning behind it. Um, the rainbow, the Hebrew word for rainbow is also the word for like the bow, the weapon. And um, so this bow is a sign of peace because it's not loaded, like there's not an arrow, and it's also not pointed down at the earth. It's pointed up into the heavens. So it's saying that God is not waging war with the earth anymore. He's waging war with the heavenly beings. And so this is a new covenant. This is a new way of God thinking. He is choosing to say, I am not going to bring this judgment down on the earth anymore. But we, we read in the story that, um, and we, if you keep reading in, in Genesis 9, it talks about how right after the covenant, Right after God says, I'm never going to do this again. I have promised to um, be committed to you and to humankind. Then Noah and his family screw up. And they do some really sinful, weird stuff. And so God is is saying that he is not going to wage war against humanity anymore. And so I think the question that we ask now, maybe we knowing that they go right back into sinning, is was the flood a mistake? Was the flood a mistake since it didn't really fix the world? Does God regret wiping out the world? And I don't think so, because it's a part of this grander story that is ultimately bringing all the glory to Jesus. Because that is what the Bible is about. That is what God is doing since the beginning of time, is pointing back to Jesus, and it's helping us see the importance of a Savior. One scholar says it this way, The flood was to provide an appropriate historical demonstration of the ultimate destiny of the world under sin. So the flood was to show us what the world deserved. The, world, the flood was to show us that this choices of the world, sin, is the wages of that is, is death. And so the flood is showing that God has the power to wipe out his creation because that is what the world deserves. And y'all, our world is just as corrupt, just as corrupt as the world that Noah lived in. We deserve the same judgment. We deserve the same punishment as the flood. But God has a new plan, a much better plan, and that was sending Jesus, his son, to take the punishment of sin, to die on the cross, to take that punishment of death so that we wouldn't have to Jesus died so that we can have eternal life. There will be final judgment day, um, but God is giving us time. He's created time for, to call us back to himself, to let creation, his creatures, choose to trust in him. Um, so Jesus says in Matthew 24, starting in verse 36, 
He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels or the heavens. So he's talking about the end times. Nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So what Jesus is saying here is we're not going to know when the world is going to end. We're not going to know. We're going to be living normal life, like saying they were eating and drinking and getting married. They were living a normal life. And then the flood happened, and it, it caught them off guard. And so just in that way, we aren't going to know when Jesus is going to finally return again. And so this isn't Jesus trying to freak us out and scare us. This isn't him using a scare tactic. It is him um, speaking out of love and saying, I need you, my children, to be on guard, to be ready for when I return for the final judgment day. He's provided a new way for eternal life. Guys, Jesus is the ark. Jesus is our rescue boat. He is our savior. He provides a way to the new heaven and new earth. And we get a choice. We get a choice to trust Jesus and put our hope in him, just like Noah trusted God to build an ark and get on the ark that day that Jesus, or that God said, it's time. It's time to get on the ark. And I can imagine all the other people that were walking by the ark, like if they would have wanted to get on the boat as well, Noah would have let them. But they just kept walking and kept making fun of him and didn't choose to ask about the ark and what Noah was doing. And so if we continue to walk on this earth and just think that, Taking Jesus seriously is, is silly, or that's for later on in my life. That's for after college. I'll get serious about my faith. Or maybe you're not taking Jesus seriously right now because everything's going pretty well for you, and you don't really feel like you need him in your life, so you're not really having to pay attention to him. Or maybe you're living a lifestyle, you're living and making choices that you don't want to change, so you're choosing to push Jesus aside. But y'all, Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope, and we have to put our trust in him if we want eternal life. He is our savior. We have to stop letting ourselves be our, our own God and our own savior and put our trust in Jesus. So our next question is are you putting your trust in the ark that is Jesus? Are you putting your trust in the ark that is Jesus? Where do you fit into this story? Y'all can talk. All right, does anyone want to share? Um, 
we talked a little bit about in the good times, it's really, really easy to trust in God and trust in his plan. But the second our world like goes crazy and we like lose sight, we like turn our backs and we're like, I don't want to believe that it's God making it happen. And not saying that he is making it happen, like, but he uses so much of the good, like so much of the bad to like turn into good. And it's so easy. And I heard this analogy the other day and I'll try to like make it short, but we are always the ones like turn our backs on God. God never turns his back on us and he's always has his hand outstretched with his gifts and his mercy and his peace. But like we have to turn back to him to see it. And so it's really hard to like do that when you're angry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think you're right. Like we like to be all in with our faith on our own terms and when it's not easy, it's a lot of times we push it to the corner, yeah. <laughs> Hello. Um, we talked about um, how when trusting God, it kind of goes back to what she was saying, but like we like to trust in God when like big scary things happen or just big things in general. And at our table, we kind of talked about how it's really important to trust in the small things in your life. And we were kind of comparing it to like a friendship. Like think about your best friend or whoever you're closest to. You trust them so much because you talk about all the small, not really important things in your life. And sometimes it can be hard to trust God when you don't have a full relationship with him where you're thinking about all the small things. Like we're, we're making a joke. Like it's literally like you can like, you know, you're going about your day. Let's say you're driving and someone doesn't stop or put their blinker on. You can literally like talk, have a relationship with God and talk to him and be like, bro, he didn't stop the stop sign. That's annoying. Like you you have a foundation with God, um, a full relationship, like I said, because you trust in him so much and you talk about all the things, not just the huge things. Right. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, the more we have open communication, the more natural it is. Just like any relationship. Yeah. Hi, my name is David. Uh, I want to share with some point that begi- at the beginning I want to share in John chapter 16, 33. Uh, it said, that I have said this thing to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I remember that when Billy, Billy Graham said that, what are you going to do if tomorrow God will return? And he said that he's gonna he's keep doing what he's he's gonna do today, and so, and uh, in few but, but few months few months ago, uh, my my friend passed away because accident the car, and he he was in in, high, in the middle school and he same my age, so he he that's very young, and after that I got a lesson for my dad. I'm not in this world. I feel like I can even save my life in this world. God can take God can take me away this world anytime he's like so I feel like and then I feel like uh, I feel like so uh, what are we to do right now to happiness before I pass away so and I used to be so quick to following God I used to be so quick following God so and and then I set a goal like I my ultimate purpose like serving God if I always repair I'm gonna pass away in any time, but right. If, but if God t- take me away right now or tomorrow, I'm still happy because my happiness is right now serving God. I'm still doing serving God and happiness right now. So. Yeah, 
when, yes, when you, I mean, that's it. Like, when you find your joy in the Lord, then, then you're putting your trust in him. Yeah, so good. Anyone else? So kind of going off of what Abby um, said, I just brought up how I've been learning a lot in my ministry class this year. Um, we've talked a lot about how it's the ordinary things in life um, that make up the majority of our life. Like there was one book that we had to read for it and the guy literally broke down all the hours. If you live till 85, this is how many hours you're going to spend brushing your teeth, riding in a car, like doing all those things. And he was like, we have to be able to trust God with every single little ordinary thing in our life. Like that's what we spend the majority of our time doing. Um, and you know, like Abby was talking about, like if you only talk with your friend about the big, huge things in your life, like you're not going to have true trust and reliability on each other. Like it's the little things like, okay, I'm going to trust that God is going to get me out of bed in the morning and that I'm going to be able to eat food and that I'm going to have a ride to work. Like all the little things like that are um, the things that Christ asks us to give to him and trust him with every day. Yeah, we want God to be a part of our entire lifestyle um, and not just compartmentalize him in, in different areas. Yeah, that's good. Anyone else? Did you want to go? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we, I really think if we lean into this story that we can see that it is um, part of this bigger love story, that Jesus is just calling us back to him. He's calling us back into relationship with him. And he cares deeply about his creation and wants us to be in relationship with him. And he wants to redeem us. But guys, we get a choice. We get a choice to accept Jesus as our Savior or not. And I just really want to encourage you guys to really be thinking about this question this week. Am I really trusting Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Have I put my trust in him? And there's going to be hard days. There's going to be days where you mess up, just like Noah. They fell back into sin, but are you confessing to the Lord and coming back to him and keeping him close to you in every area of your life, in every season? Um, so yeah, and if you want to talk about baptism— if that is something that you feel like the Lord has put on your heart, let's talk about it. Uh, I know I said we have baptism this Sunday. It's too late to sign up for that one. Um, but we'll have another one in January or February. So we can start talking about what that might look like for you if you are ready to make that outward proclamation of your faith. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited for us to get to witness baptisms after talking about this tonight. I think it'll be really fun to celebrate those. So let me pray for us, and then I'm going to give you a minute or a few minutes to do prayer requests in your group. God, I am so thankful that we serve a God who cares so deeply about his creation and that you are chasing after us day after day, and calling us back into relationship with you. 
God, and I pray that we would just receive that, that we would receive our identity as your sons and daughters, and that we would choose to put our trust in you. Even when it's scary or feels just like a a big step, a big life change, or if we've just been walking away for a while, distant, I pray that we would draw closer to you, that each one of us would desire to take a step closer to you tonight, Lord. We love you, and you're just so good. It's in your name. Amen.